Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you'd like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Bible in a Year reading plan. We also have PDFs of the reading plan available for download on our website, grove.church. Questions, if you have them, I'd love for you to send them in to info at grove.church, or you can direct message our Facebook page. We are the Grove Church in Washington State. We do try to take time every week to answer those questions as they come up and arise. And we'd love for you to invite us into the conversation simply by sending us an email or a direct message with those questions in hand. If you're wondering why the energy of this podcast is a little it's bit a little different. Bit. We're like we're like high paced. Because we forgot that the room that we recorded in was torn apart for renovations. So we had to run downstairs, set up set everything up on a bar table. So right now we're standing. Yeah, so. which I actually kind of enjoy and I wonder about continuing this. That I'm a, a squeaky si- chair. I'm a sitting guy. But for whatever it's worth, so chair, we're out we're out of breath because Aaron has to go pick up Gideon <laughs> again. So we are uh we record this We're podcast recording. on Thursdays. Correct. Typically at 10 is when the ballpark we like to aim for. Doesn't happen that time. It hasn't happened this year since we started. Um, and so that's kind of the chaos. My son has preschool in person and gets picked up about noon. So it is currently 11.23 and I have to leave. The, I have to be in my car driving away from our church at 11.51 to get there in time to pick him up. So Luckily, there's a door right outside to the parking lot. Yes. So we will make this happen. Yes. But So welcome to a little bit behind the veil. So as far <laughs> it's as, a little chaotic. As far as resources that we're using today, as always, the ESV Study Bible, Logos Bible Software. Then we're also using the Essence of the New Testament, a survey by Elmer Towns and Ben Gutierrez, The New Testament in Its World, uh, by N.T. Wright and Michael Byrd, and then also the Reformation Study Bible. Ooh, I was, um, new resource. Well, yeah, I was cleaning through um, our guest room in the apartment, and I found it in a desk, and I was like, I totally forgot I had this. So I'm also using that, because it's, it's just good to have another set of commentaries when you're reading through it. Yep. So there you go. And today we are talking about Hebrews, Hebrews the book of Hebrews. Hebrews. There's some really interesting stuff to talk about leading into it, and then we'll go into more of a a basic outline. But uh, Hebrews is unique among the New Testament books in that there is no consensus author by tradition. Um, So some books say who wrote them, right? So like at the beginning of James, James says, James, a brother in Christ or a servant of Christ too, so-and-so. Uh, a lot of the Pauline letters say Paul, a servant of of Christ to so-and-so. Hebrews is not like that. Um, and there's also some books where they're technically anonymous, but the tradition is pretty solid. So yeah. think of the Gospels, for instance. So even though none of the Gospels say directly who wrote them, um, there's not much debate about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yeah, I think the only the one that comes show. close is the book of John, because he talks about like the beloved disciple and he talks about himself that way. Right. Uh, and we can know that from different traditions, stuff like that too. But that's the closest. I thought you were saying the only one that's close to being controversial was John. And no. I was like, I feel like that's the most solid one. That is the most solid one. Yeah. You're correct with that. So there you go. Um, as far as theories of who wrote it, I always just nerd out about these. It's not super important because I think you just kind of take the book as it is, but no. it's fun to think about it. Um, a lot of early church fathers think that Paul wrote it, uh, but didn't sign it because he was the apostle to the Gentiles, not to the Jews. So because his letter is theoretically written to the Jews, Paul didn't sign it or it was written by Luke um, with Paul's influence. That's what Clement of Alexandria thought. I kind of go against that just because there's evidence of that happening with a lot of the epistles, not just Hebrews, where I forgot which one it is, but there's one epistle that at the very end, Paul says, and I write this in my own hand, yeah. which clearly means that everything before that was 
dictated. And then Paul actually took the time to write out a section. Well, so. and it's interesting because even in the epistles, the majority of the epistles, you can see Pauline influences uh, just in the nature of his, when he, I mean, let me stop for a second. You see his influence because of, of the nature and position of his role within the, the early church. You see that influence happen and throughout. I mean, Peter was drastically influenced by Paul and they worked together for so long. Uh, and so you see a lot of the only epistle that we have, and this is only, it's in the fresh of my mind because we're working through it is the book of James, which most scholarly reports point to it being written before one of the earliest manuscripts we have of the New Testament, right. which would have been written before Paul's um, exposition, so to speak, and work through. So, uh, but you see, you see Paul's influence in a lot of the epistles just by nature of his role and influence in, in Christianity as we know it. Yeah, that's true. Um, as far as other theories, I tend to hold that it's not Pauline when it comes, and I don't mean Pauline like a woman's name. I mean like it's not written by Paul. Yeah. Um, but again, very open. And I would agree with issue. you on that too. So some other thoughts, um, some famous church leaders. Here are some famous church leaders, fathers throughout the ages and who they thought wrote it. Uh, Tertullian thought that it was Barnabas, which I think is interesting. Interesting for sure. John Calvin thought it was Clement of Rome, who was around right at the turn of the century. Uh, He's the only one who doesn't think it's a biblical character, which is kind of interesting. Uh, Martin Luther thought it was Apollos, which I also think is kind of a fun one to think about. Um, And then Adolf von Harnack thought it was Priscilla. Which I got to be honest, I did not know who Adolf von or Adolf von Harnack was, so I looked <laughs> I, him up. I don't know who he is, but he's a German theologian, Lutheran. Oh. Uh, during the like, well, obviously German with a name like Adolf von Harnack. There's not many other nationalities you can be, but uh, during like the mid 1800s is when okay. he was active. So there you go. Uh, and then we do know. Here's what we know: the one clue we have about the author is it someone who knew Timothy? Because at the very end of the book, it says, also, Timothy is coming with me. And that, I guess that's true. We've eliminated one person. It's not Timothy. It's not Timothy. For sure, it is not Timothy. Unless he likes to speak of himself in the third person. That's true. Just kidding. But And then uh, as far as dating the book goes, um, Hebrews has one of the broader possibilities of dates, and that's kind of just a consequence of not knowing who the author is. Yeah. So there's not much we can use to pin it down. We know it is no earlier than AD 49 because that's when Timothy joined Paul. So at the, before that, there would have been no point in saying like, hey, Timothy, because yeah. no one knows who that guy is. So probably a little bit after that. And then no later than AD 96. And that's when Clement of Rome mentions the book. So I tend to hold, if I had to just kind of peg it, I would peg it between AD 55 and 65. So that kind of gives enough time for Timothy to be... <clears throat> With Paul for a while mm-hmm. and be established, and then it's before the fall of the temple or the fall of Jerusalem. Because, and usually I just think of, I think most of the epistles that don't mention it are dated before it just because it's such a cataclysmic event, particularly yeah. in an epistle written to the Hebrews, that it seems like it would be brought up. So, again, open handed, I would peg it somewhere between 55 and 65 ish, somewhere in there. So, there you go. Um, and then finally, In some ways, Hebrews acts as an introduction to the Old Testament to modern Christians, sort of the opposite of Matthew in that regard, where Matthew is very much about like presenting um, Christ to the Jews. Hebrews, not necessarily written for this intent, but for the modern reader, it kind of frames Judaism for the modern Christian. So kind of an interesting deal there. And then it's also pretty easy to divide into three sections. Um, if you think of them as three different Venn diagrams, it works really well because there's, they bleed into one another, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And we'll talk about that here when we go through, but the very end 
of the first section can also be counted as the beginning of the next section. It kind of works for both. And in some ways, it's actually really clever authorship too, because it's it's excellent segues. Unlike what you hear on this program, the author of Hebrews is great <laughs> with segues. So there you go. Listen, we have our moments, okay? It's true. Sorry for my heavy breathing, everyone. So here's the question is, who, like, when it comes to the authorship, why does it matter? It's so, funny because I've always thought right. about this question. And it's not that I, I necessarily need the answer, but I'm just like, if I'm a reader, if I'm a listener... Why does it matter who writes the book? So I think, and in, in, it depends on what you mean by matter, right? So what's the value to it? Sure. So the value of knowing who wrote a book is it helps inform our interpretation of the book. Mm. So because we know who Paul is and his history, some of the things that he says, we can try and view it through his lens. Yeah. Um, same thing with, um, uh, same thing with everything else going on. In there with the book of Hebrews, though, the reason I think it matters, the reason I, I, I hesitate to use the word matter is because I don't think it matters in the sense of whether it's canonical or For whether sure. it should be part of the Bible. Because I think even though from the very beginning of it being included in canon, people were wondering, I don't know who wrote this, but it was always assumed that it was um, the inspired word of God yeah. along with the other epistles. So that's kind of the whole idea there. Um, but yeah, so it, it's just something to keep in mind. Like I said, I kind of, I like to think Barnabas or Apollos. Um, my gut says Apollos hmm. because, and here's my thing. And in Hebrews somewhere, I forgot, I didn't write, I should have written it down. He makes some reference to hearing about the Lord Jesus secondhand. So it's Barnabas. We don't know yeah. how he hears about him, but we, it, it would make sense that Barnabas was actually a witness to Jesus's ministry, or at least heard very soon afterward about mm-hmm. it. Um, and also, it doesn't read like Paul, but it reads like someone who was very heavily influenced by Paul. Yeah. And a lot of the themes are, are different, but um, at the same time, a lot of the things are... Yeah. A lot of the ways that they say... A lot of the ways that the author says something are different, but the themes that he attacks are somewhat the same. For sure. So that's where it kind of makes sense for me to be a Paul. Hebrews is a lot easier to read as compared to Pauline literature. Yeah, that's true. Pauline, Pauline literature, it's, it's almost like he's... He's not sporadic in thought. He just sees so many different overlays and connections between thoughts so that it gets really clunky to read sometimes. So anyways, we don't need to spend all morning. It's just an interesting question because I think you're right. It does influence and help us understand the context and the culture and the purpose that one's writing when you understand the author. Um, And and so I just, I asked the question because sometimes it's, it's, I don't want to, I don't want you to think if you're listening, like we're just wasting time by talking about who wrote it. Like there is a very real purpose to, to talk oh, about yeah. who wrote it and why they wrote it. So anyways, and, the and this one is interesting because I've actually heard the theory uh, that it was a female that wrote it and that's why there's no name attached to it. Um, Which would lend to the the Priscilla. The Priscilla filter, yep. right? So there's part of me that's like, I could totally see that because why wouldn't Apollos or Barnabas or these other guys attach their name to it? It's, it's, it's neither here nor there, but sure. it's just, it's could definitely be. an interesting thought for sure. All right, so let's break it down into our three sections. Um, It's going to be the theological declaration, the biblical explanation, and the practical application. I feel like I'm preaching right now just because of that. Those are good. Those run well well together. All credit to the essence of the New Testament because we're using their outline for for the most part. Um, Okay, so the theological declaration declaration is this, the superiority of Christ. Mm -hmm. So the first six chapters are talking about how Jesus is the greater blank or Jesus is greater than blank. So the first section is Jesus is greater than the angels, which is kind of an interesting thing because we don't see that. We don't see that come up very often in the new Testament. It seems like it's just an issue that is in the church that the author is writing to where there's maybe a cult 
um, that's beginning to do some angel worship or um, possibly people beginning to say that Jesus himself was an angel, not a, not fully man, um, which is hmm. kind of like what Jehovah's Witnesses believe today. And yeah. you could kind of view it as it, I always get it mixed up with whether it's Arianism or the other one, the Gnostics. I think it's the Gnostics who believe that Jesus was fully spiritual, a fully spiritual being. One of the two. Anyway, there's there's heresies that arise um, soon after uh, the ministry of the apostles. And so it could be the beginnings of that happening as well. I mm-hmm. believe it's the Gnostics that are happening there. Um, but what this section shows is that in the past, it kind of goes through, God revealed himself through prophets. So think like, you know, Moses, Elijah, Isaiah, or Isaiah, as the British say, um, or angels, which would be like Michael and Gabriel. But his greatest revelation of himself is in Jesus. Yeah. So the whole point of this is that, A, Jesus is a higher spiritual being than the angels because Jesus is God himself, but also that as far as the revelation, the way that God has chosen to reveal himself in the past, he's used prophets and angels. This is an even greater revelation of Mm -hmm. who God is. So there you go. Uh, The next part of this section is Jesus is the greater Moses. So we have a little passage here. If uh, Aaron, you wouldn't mind reading that really quick. It's Hebrews chapter three, verses three through four. It says, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Verse four in parentheses, by the way, it says for every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. So right there, we get this idea that Moses, and Moses is kind of the great hero mm-hmm. of um, Jewish history, right? I mean, it's Abraham, Moses, and David are like the big three. Yeah. So to say that Jesus is the better Moses, I think communicates a couple of things. It communicates one, that he's greater than the prophets, right? Because Moses would be considered the first and the greatest of the prophets. But it also communicates, I think, that he's, He's ushering in something similar but greater to what Moses ushered in. So just as Moses' ministry was to show the the covenant and the law, Jesus' ministry is to show the new covenant and the fulfillment of the law. So, and again, that's that's more of an open hand statement because Hebrews doesn't come right out and say it. But I think as we move through the book, we'll begin to see that that um, that may be the reason why the comparison is happening. Yeah. And then finally. Jesus is our greater high priest. So the idea here is that in the old covenant, the priest was the mediator between God and man. Yeah. Now Jesus fulfills that fulfills that role for us. So instead of having to go to priests, we go to directly to Christ, and that's our mediator. Yeah. So and it's interesting because this part is talking about Melchizedek, who we spent some time last year talking through. So I'd love for you to go back and listen to that podcast, specifically talking about Melchizedek and who he is. Um, but he, Jesus is compared to being greater than Melchizedek which is actually not in the, the yeah. Levite line. It's not in the, the line of Aaron uh, as a high priest would be considered because Aaron was the first high priest in the Israelite camp. Uh, and so that that's an interesting conversation too, but uh, we don't want to belabor that today because we did spend some time last year, pretty recently, I believe. It's episode 102 and we're on episode 112. Yeah. So 10 episodes ago. We so did yeah, go back it. and listen to that one. That'll give you some more conversation about the high priest, but definitely uh, is an interesting conversation for sure. Yep. And then, like I said, Venn diagrams, this section talking about how Jesus is our greater high priest really bleeds into the next section, which is chapter seven through 10. And that would be the biblical explanation, which is this, the priesthood of Christ. So mm-hmm. because Jesus is our high priest, all of a sudden we can kind of look through and see, well, what does that mean? So this section shows how our relationship with Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament priesthood. Um, yeah. Like we just said, there's the order of Melchizedek thing that's happening. So we're not going to spend a ton of time because yeah. we did a full like half hour on who that guy is and why it's important. So 
suffice it to say that section is basically talking about how Jesus does not need to be of the tribe of Levi mm. to act as high priest. Um, but here's what's important. So the priesthood of the new covenant, we have another passage here, if Aaron, you wouldn't mind reading. Yeah, absolutely, man. It says Hebrews, it says Hebrews 8, 5 through 7. Uh, it says that they serve a copy and shadow of heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is is as much more excellent than the old test old as the covenant he mediates is better since he, it is enacted on better promises for if that first covenant had been faultless there would have now have been no occasion to look for a second so that's what we were just talking about with the um Jesus is the better Moses thing mm-hmm. is that he's ushering in a new covenant um and it's showing the I want to be careful because it's not that God made a mistake necessarily or that God was yeah. at fault, but it's showing that there were areas of the old covenant where we fall short and they it wasn't sufficient to ensure God's plan of salvation. Yeah. And it was necessary for us to understand that as human as humanity, we had to understand that we were not efficient enough, that we were not self-capable um, of ourselves to accommodate and attain the righteous standing that we needed to be continue to be in constant relation with God. Uh, and so even though part of me is like, well, why, why didn't God just go to this first covenant first or this new covenant first? Uh, but part of it is there is a, a method, a purpose and a plan to God's story as right. he's unfolded it. And we have to understand in some degrees, we, we really needed to know that we, <laughs> we couldn't do what we needed to do. Well, I do like, um, I say it all the time, but and I, I wish I could remember where I heard it to actually give it credit. But mm-hmm. the idea of the old covenant being, um, the diagnosis and the new covenant being the prognosis. Or in hmm. other words, the old covenant is telling you what's wrong and the new covenant is telling you, here's what can be done. Or more accurately, here ha- here's what has been done. Yeah. So I've never heard that. Really? Oh, yeah. I, th- I feel like I, I say it it's heresy, but okay. it probably is. Just kidding. So any- anyway, uh, and then finally we get to the priestly sacrifice of Christ. I think this is one thing that we don't talk about very much in modern Christianity just because it's it's weird to modern ears um, just to hear about the sacrificial system because we think of it as being grotesque. We think of yeah, it as being completely like, barbaric. This is so bad. I uh, even remember, um, the, you know, the, the hymn um, in Christ alone, even though it was written in the eighties. So it's like, it's, it's modern, but I, I forgot what church denomination it was, but they wanted to include it in their hymnal. But they said, we, we want to change the line um, for on the cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. And they want, I forgot what they want to change it to, but they want to change something else. And the author said, no. Uh, and it's kind of, it shows that like, as, as, as modern Western people, we don't want to think in those terms, even though that's no. clearly how the Bible presents it. So it is something important to wrestle through, even though we don't engage in sacrifice today, um, into our modern years, it sounds very strange. Yeah, the it, it the the idea is true that Jesus is the better sacrifice. Mm-hmm. If and to kind of bring it back to that first section, Jesus is the greater Lamb. He's the yeah. Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So true. Um, the old sacrificial system required repeated sacrifices to atone for sin. So you would go, you travel. A sacrifice wasn't a one-time thing, but it was, you know, every every year you were doing these things. The new covenant system requires one sacrifice, and that would be the perfect sacrifice. Once for all. That's it. Which is Jesus. Yeah. So, and that's why, if if you ever wondered, that's why we don't um, sacrifice today. Yeah. And I think, I think, I mean, you make, you make a really good point that we don't talk about this enough in Christianity and and, and today, especially. And, and, and I do think it has like that discomfort. It, it doesn't make sense. It's hard to, to comprehend why. 
it would have to be this way. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be understanding and talking about it. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be addressing the conversation as we even we read in scripture because I mean, we're reading through the Old Testament right now. We're getting ready to jump, you know, to, to as we're reading through Genesis and we're going to be jumping into Exodus here soon. We're getting to the point where we're going to find that these sacrifices come even more into play. And so um, even though it's uncomfortable, we have to understand the weight and the gravity of sin and God's desire to redeem and restore humanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is the way that it had to happen. So, and then uh, again, segues, master author of you. I do want to know who the author of Hebrews is in heaven when I get there one day, just to compliment him. On Sounds the, like a woman. On me. their segues, on her the segues. transitions are really good. His I mean, segues. Let's, let's just be honest. No, um, just kidding. But yeah, because Jesus is our perfect sacrifice, now we can get to the practical application, which is living by faith. Um, and this is probably the most famous section of Hebrews, if you hear it quoted. Um, it starts off in chapter 11, it goes all the way through the end of the book. Well, almost to the end. I mean, there's a little benediction at the end that we'll talk about. But uh, the first part is the hall of faith, which mm-hmm. is just kind of like, you know, it's the by faith so-and-so did such is kind of the section there. But When it launches into defining what faith is, right? Uh, and then it talks about this is the examples of those who have lived and walked faith, uh, which is why they're in the quote unquote hall of faith, which to be honest with you, I think is so corny and I hate that people say it and use it as <laughs> whenever they preach the book of Hebrews 11 or they hit this, this, this passage, it's like, oh man, the, these heroes of the faith, I'm just like, come on, man. So like, hall of faith, do you also, different? do you also not like um, the Roman road? Or how do you feel about that colloquialism? Uh, colloquialism? I, it's funny because when I learned the Roman road, it was never, if you don't know what the Roman road is, it's in essence a way through the book of Romans to walk people to salvation. A road, if you will. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a pathway. It's a road. Um, sin, a redemption, uh, a, you know, and and that whole sacrifice of Christ, that's what the Roman road is. Uh, when I learned the Romans road, um, uh, it didn't only have Roman Roman passages in it. Oh, really? So, uh, so like the, it went to first John, I think it was a four nine or something like that. So the name was a lie. Uh, it totally was a lie. So to me, it was just kind of like, oh, okay, that's interesting. But as I got older, I realized like that actually was supposed to be a walk through the book of Romans because that Paul, I mean, arguably, and I, and I actually find myself in this, in this camp for sure. I think Paul does the most uh, thorough, clear, incredible job in the book of Romans, developing the gospel and understanding how it relates to, to, to to humanity that not just Jewish, but also Gentile and bridging the gap and all of that. So he does a phenomenal job. It really is Paul's systematic theology. Yes. It's brilliant. So, and yeah, it's, it's very clunky and very deep and very heavy. So, so anyway, though, getting back to Hebrews, because we're not talking about the Roman road today. No, we're talking Uh, about the hall of faith. The hall of faith. It includes uh, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel. So, there you and go. then a bunch of unnamed at the very end kind of tagline, like, and there's plenty more to talk about. Sure. <laughs> so, but I'm just... But specifically, yes. Right. So there you go. Um, and it's also giving this idea of the lifestyle of faith. So if those are kind of like people we can look up to in faith, and I do want to I, I do want to pause really quick and just say, as you look at those lists, none of them are perfect, for yeah. sure. All of them, as I'm reading through, you can see all of them except Enoch have moments of failure that are very public that you can read about. Um, and Enoch was taken to, to in a whirlwind to be yeah, with God. He, he didn't, didn't, he didn't live a full life. He probably would have screwed up, but God, <laughs> but, but God took him up in the whirlwind instead. Uh, but we get to the lifestyle. Take that, of, Enoch. We, take, we get to the lifestyle of faith. Um, this final section gives us a list of in light of commands. So basically in light of everything that we've read in light of Jesus being the better, better than the angels, the better Moses, um, our living sacrifice, our high priest, in light of all of that, how now shall we live? 
Um, and so we're given, a, I'm just, these are just kind of a few things I cherry picked out, but we're reminded to show hospitality to everyone mm-hmm. um, that because of the love that God has shown us, we should show love to strangers and foreigners. Um, we're uh, to submit to authority, which is kind of like, I think as an American, that's probably one of the hardest things in the Bible that we don't talk about. It's like, um, cause our, our culture is so much, and I, and I love America, um, but our culture is very much built upon the idea of like, screw the king, forget authority. Like we're going to do what we want. And so like the idea of actually like, no, submitting to godly authority is one of those things. And then. Well, it's um, not even just godly authority either though. True. Yeah. Just authority. Just authority in general, but yeah. Uh, and then finally, not to grow weary in our faith. Um, I shouldn't say finally, cause there's a lot more yeah, and much, much more that's talked about. And that's what I put in the notes much and much more. Uh, but those are just a few things that we cherry picked out or I cherry picked out, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then finally, at the end of the book, we get this benediction and also that passage we referred to about Timothy being there. So it says uh, in Hebrews 13, 20 through 25, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in sight through the through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with you. I think when I read this last time, I skipped the benediction. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know, right? How could you? Uh, that's interesting. Like that identifies Timothy. Um, he's been released. Um, and either this author is writing from Italy... Mm-hmm. or at at the very least near Italy and people are coming from there. So interesting. You know, it's a, it's a real, you know, if we had Sherlock or Poirot or whoever the famous detectives are, we could try and figure out who wrote it, but we get some, you think we get they, some clues. You think they would have figured it out by now because you know, there's someone that is <laughs> much more interested in this than we are um, to figure out who wrote it. But anyway, that's true. There's definitely no definitive answer, yeah, but interesting. There you be. Well, Uh, That's going to actually wrap it up for another episode of Let's Read the Bible. Um, But before you go, a couple things we just wanted to remind you of. Number one, if you'd like to help out the show, uh, leave us a five-star review on whatever app you're listening on. It just helps get the show out there to more people and continue to grow the community. Um, Also, if if the show has blessed you in any way and you'd like to just contribute... Uh, to the ministry that we do here at the Grove Church. If you go on our website, there's a give button right there. So any gift would be uh, very welcome. So no pressure, but if you want to, that would be a great way to help support us as well. And then as our final reminder, uh, we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only podcast of the Grove Church. You can find all of our other resources on our website at grove.church. Have a great day.